Thanks, Dana. So if you've been around uh, Creston these past few weeks, we know, you know we've been talking about um, exile. That's been our sermon topic, what we've been framing our worship around. And we've been talking about what it means to be in exile, how the Israelites, they were in exile, um, what coming back from exile looked like, and, and kind of the sense that we're also in exile in some sense. But now we're in Advent the four Sundays before Christmas, we can sing songs about peace and joy that are happy. We can forget all about that exile stuff. But what Advent actually it shows us is a picture of what returning from exile actually can look like. So we said that we're kind of in a state of exile. Uh, we're waiting for something to come still. We still haven't yet returned to where we're supposed to be. And like Dana, you mentioned, Advent means coming. And so Advent is a time for us to think about the coming of Christ. But it's also a time for us to consider what Christ is coming to bring. And how Christ is leading us out of exile. And a great place for us to start to consider that in, in this Advent season is the book of Isaiah, because Isaiah is about exile. So if you want to turn with me to Isaiah 11... Um, and we'll read from that this morning. I won't read the full chapter, but I'll be, my sermon's about the full chapter. So it's on page 725 in your pew bulletins. If you have one of the, the ones that say uh, Crescent Christian Reformed Church on the front. Otherwise, I don't know what the other one is. Um, so Isaiah 11, let me read it for us this morning. The branch from Jesse. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The Spirit of counsel and of power. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lay down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child puts his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. The word of the Lord. So this passage in Isaiah, um, and all of Isaiah, was written... Um, for the northern kingdom of Israel. And you, you remember that Israel, at a certain point, they split into two kingdoms, the southern two tribes, Judah, the northern ten tribes was, was uh, Israel. And Isaiah is preaching before they go into exile, and he's preaching to them about the coming destruction of the Assyrians, the Assyrian Empire. And a lot of Old Testament prophets, they preached about destruction. But, but, the Old Testament, these other prophets, you could repent and be saved from this destruction. 
Even Jonah, he preached um, repentance and destruction to the Assyrians. They repented and they were able to save themselves from the coming destruction. But not all prophecies could be, you know, just turned over by a little repentance. Some prophecies couldn't be changed. And Isaiah's message, it wasn't repent and be saved. Isaiah's prophecy was, this is going to happen. The Assyrians are coming to destroy you. The Assyrians will be here. And you can't stop this. Even if you Israelites, you make a complete U-turn. Even if you give up all your idols and immorality, the Assyrians are still coming and they're going to destroy you. Which is strange. Because right in the middle of all this, Isaiah, he gives us chapter 11. So what's this passage of hope doing in the midst of all the prophecy of destruction and death? You see, in the passage prior to chapter 11, Isaiah, he speaks of the threat of the Assyrians. They're going to come and destroy them. The Assyrians are going to chop down the metaphorical tree that is Israel to the stump. And then they're also going to burn that stump. They're going to leave nothing in their path. And if you know anything about the um, Assyrian Empire at this time, they were particularly brutal people. So, not, so some of the things that they did when they were conquering lands is they would, they would skin people alive and they would um, take you from your cities or the places that they conquered and move you to other parts of their kingdom. So they, they, they had a good history of spreading terror throughout the ancient world. But another thing that they would do was they would, they would destroy the land, and they would make it so that people couldn't fight back against them. So they would harm the farming, burn it all up, and they would damage the land so that you couldn't really do much agriculture for years afterwards. And they would come and they would destroy cities so well that it was almost impossible to rebuild them. And so cities and the land was destroyed so thoroughly. So why does Isaiah prophesy and give us this glimpse of hope? Because Isaiah 11, it seems so happy, so peaceful. It's it's the perfect picture of creation. It's very reminiscent of the Garden of Eden, where humans and animals, they're, they're living together in perfect harmony. It's a time before there was a need to grow food, and a time before worrying about whether a wolf or a lion was going to attack you. And this scene is so full of hope in such a horrible, in in face of such a horrible fate. A fate that the Israelites, they can't avoid. They know, or they are told that this is going to happen. The Assyrians are coming. So why include it at all? Well, Isaiah's prophecy of hope helps underscore the peace that the Israelites don't have. And by presenting the Israelites with the coming future, 
by showing them this perfect picture, it highlights their current threat. The threat of the Assyrian army coming to destroy them, to destroy their land, to destroy their culture, to destroy their cities, and to destroy their families. The Israelites, they don't have this peace that Isaiah points to. And this shows in their biggest threat, the Assyrian Empire. The Israelites' predicament, it shows that there wasn't much peace at that time. There, were, there wasn't peace among the nations, but there also wasn't peace in creation. They still had to work the land, and they still had to be concerned about environmental threats. Has anyone ever seen the movie Grizzly Man? Anybody? Have you seen the movie Grizzly Man? A few people have. Cool. So, this movie, it's a documentary about a man named Timothy Treadwell. So, Treadwell, he's an he was an environmentalist, um, and he grew up just outside of New York City. So, and growing up, like a lot of people, he, he really liked animals, but particularly he really liked bears. He had a, stuff, he had a stuffed bear. Um, I think a lot of us can relate to that, enjoying animals growing up. And so when he became an adult, he dedicated his life and spending his summers living with grizzly bears in Alaska. And Treadwell, he filmed his experience with the bears, um, to try and spread knowledge about the bears and to help protect grizzly bears. And he tried well, he was also trying to escape what he saw as the less than peaceful human world and, and enter into creation and live with these, what he saw, peaceful bears. And it's very interesting because the documentary shows him living with the bears. And if you haven't seen the movie, I'll, I'll kind of, I want to explain some of what, what's happening. So there are shots of him like right next to wild grizzly bears, okay? And he's interacting with them. And it's, it's like the scariest thing. He's feeding them. Occasionally, a grizzly bear might get a little aggressive at him. So he like hits it on the nose and he like kind of yells at it and it kind of walks away. So it's, it's so strange how well he can interact with these bears. But it's still so unnerving. Every time you think, this bear is going to just like claw right at him, he's going to be dead. And I was scared watching him because I really like bears. Um, I'm kind of like him growing up. I thought bears were the coolest thing. But I would never want to be that close to a grizzly bear. I'd be terrified that the National Park Service, they say you've got to be 100 yards from one at any time. I would be scared being that close. I was once um, pretty close to a black bear, about 50 feet when we were camping. And a black bear is much smaller and not as scary. And to show you the difference between a black bear and a grizzly bear, when you experience a black bear in the wilderness when you're camping or something, the, the protocol is you make yourself really big and you yell at it. And it's usually a black bear runs away scared. And to show you how dangerous a grizzly bear is, when you experience a grizzly bear in the wild, what you do is you like curl up in a fetal position, you put your hands on your neck, and they tell you, hope that the bear doesn't eat you. That's all you can do when a grizzly bear comes. And so the fact that Treadwell spends 13, 
14 summers with wild grizzly bears is, is insane. He gains a ton of knowledge about the bears, and of course, he starts to feel very comfortable with grizzly bears, more comfortable than anyone should be. And Treadwell comes to learn that you can't tame a grizzly bear. You can't really be friends with a grizzly bear. And because creation is still a very violent place, Treadwell and his girlfriend were killed by a grizzly bear on their last summer in Alaska. Creation, it still isn't like Isaiah portrays it in chapter 11. A child can't lead a bear because that would be dangerous. And I tell you this story because it's because we don't live with a, a lot of military dangers today. Historians, they tell us that actually today is one of the most peaceful times in world history, militarily speaking, of course. And we don't have to worry about a country like Assyria at our borders invading us. Canada is no Assyria. But there are still some military threats, so we have... North Korea is pretty vocal. Um, China, no one really knows what they're up to all the time. And Russia has been a little unsettling recently. But we don't have that same immediate danger like the Israelites did with Assyria. But Isaiah 11 does point out something else about our reality. Sure, we don't have those same military threats, but we still don't have the world that Isaiah 11 points us to. We might not have to worry about a grizzly bear attacking us on our way home today. But we do live in a world that is full of other environmental threats. Some of which we've created ourselves. We haven't been the best stewards of creation. But even without global warming, there's a lot of environmental threats we can't avoid. Hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, flooding, all of these things are going to happen with or without global warming. And none of us have control over them. So many of us, we haven't experienced being attacked by a wild animal, so don't think. But a lot of us have experienced natural disasters, even with Micah recently in the hurricane. And, and these things point to and show that our world is not yet like it's supposed to be. The world that Isaiah shows us still isn't upon us. And in the story, in Isaiah 11, the Assyrian Empire, it's right upon the Israelites. And the Israelites, they're on the verge of destruction. Isaiah, he proclaims the people that this destruction is going to happen and they're going to be destroyed by the brutal, terrifying Assyrian Empire. But before this happens, Isaiah, he proclaims a word of hope to the people. And if you know anything about the book of Isaiah, it's split up into three sections. Um, the first section, which is before the Assyrian invasion. The second section is during, while the Assyrian invasion is happening. And the third is the return from exile. In Isaiah 11, it's, it's right at the tail end of 
the first book, the book before the Assyrian invasion. And it shows that God never leaves his people without a bit of hope, even when he's coming to judge them. The Israelite people, they are going to be brought into exile and be destroyed at the hands of the Assyrians, but there is a bit of hope. Isaiah, he doesn't just say that the people are going to return from exile. He says that in other parts of the book. But here, Isaiah, he paints a picture of true restoration, true creation. A future where a lion it lays down with a lamb, or a wolf lays down with a lamb. A bear, it's feeding with a cow. And children, they don't have to worry where they stick their hands because even a viper isn't going to bite them. And this, and this is a proclamation. It proclaims the creation will someday be restored to the way that God originally had intended. He, this picture reminds us of the Garden of Eden. But bef even before this proclamation of restoration of creation and before the, the coming judgment of the Assyrians, Isaiah tells us that someone is leading this restoration. A shoot will come out of the stump of Jesse. The stump of what was, that is left of the, when the Assyrians chopped down Israel. That stump that's fragmented and broken and burned and charred. It's from this that there's a leader who will come. A leader who wears righteousness as a belt and faithfulness as a sash. A leader who does not judge based on what he hears, but based, judges on the character of the heart. And a leader who has the Spirit of the Lord on him. A leader who's going to bring about this restoration and bring about justice for the people and judgment on Assyria. In the Garden of Eden, in the beginning of the Bible, God he dwells with his people. God is said to walk in the garden with Adam and Eve, and God and the creation and its people, they're all at peace. And just like in Isaiah 11, the peace, that this peace is brought about by a leader, a new leader, and the peace is so complete that it affects everything, even down to creation. In fact, this peace, it would restore the land and any destruction that the Assyrians would have done to it. The Grizzly Man documentary, it shows us that the world still isn't how it's supposed to be. I can't have a 1,000-pound wild grizzly bear and treat it like it's my dog. It's not a smart idea. The world still is a violent place, even if there's less military threats than there's ever been in the history of the world. You might not get mauled by a grizzly bear, but, and you probably won't get attacked by an Assyrian, but you might get mugged. Maybe you've known someone who's, got, who's gotten mugged, or maybe you've been in a car accident. Or maybe your basement has been flooded at some point. 
it's hard, it's still hard to believe this picture of creation that Isaiah points us to. Especially considering how much danger there still is in the world. But God, he keeps his promises to his people. And God is committed to this picture of peace. A peace where people are not afraid to walk through their own streets at night. A peace that is so pervasive that a lion gives up eating meat and starts eating straw. Now that, that is a radical picture. A peace, this peace defies the laws of nature. A lion which is seemingly built to kill and to eat meat basically becomes vegan. It doesn't make any sense, this peace. But God is going to bring about this radical peace. A peace so radical that all of creation is affected. Speaking of radical peace, two years ago, the New York Times, they ran a story about Rwandans 20 years after the genocide. If you didn't know, in Rwanda in the 90s, um, there was a genocide. A genocide where almost a million Tutsis were killed within a 100-day period by the Hutu majority. A million people dying in 100 days. And the New York Times, they wanted to focus on the, reconcilia the reconciliation efforts going on there. The government of Rwanda has been working very hard that these two groups of people can be reconciled together. And so the New York Times, they documented this reconciliation, and they did this by photographing people together. And so there's a, a few photographs, but the one that I feel was so striking, it's a photograph of a woman named Vivian, and she is photographed with her hand on the shoulder of Jean, the man who killed her father and brother. You see, in Rwanda, they're trying very hard to reconcile these people together to the point where they're willing to spend months or even years so that people like Jean can formally ask for forgiveness to the people that they violated, the, the families of the people that they had murdered. And you can see from the photograph, and, and it says in the article that Vivian does forgive Jean. But it's not, it's not this, it doesn't seem like a joyous moment. From the picture, you can just feel the tension. You can feel the unease. Vivian does forgive Jean, but she's still unsettled. And from the from the picture, you can still see Vivian's pain in her eyes. But by granting Jean forgiveness, Vivian can start to begin the process of reconciliation and healing as well. And while forgiving your father's murder might not seem as radical as a lion giving up meat and eating straw, it's still remarkable. Because who of us can honestly say that we could forgive 
our father's murderer. Confidently, we could do that. I'm convinced that this type of forgiveness is only possible through, because of Christ and because of the work that Christ has done. And this, is, and this reconciliation is a result of this radical peace. And we know that God is still committed to this idea of peace because of what is found and what is written in John 1. The Word became flesh. What we proclaim in this Advent time is the fact that God came to earth as a person. And God cares so much about bringing creation and to this peace, to this radical peace, that he becomes a human. He enters in, and he enters into history to store peace, and becomes just like us. But still, the peace that Isaiah prophesied still hasn't quite come. I still can't have a grizzly bear as a pet. And I, I still worry about my basement getting flooded now and then when it rains too hard. But through Christ and, this, and the beginning of this radical peace that affects creation, Hutus and Tutsis, the man who murdered someone's father, they can begin to reconcile with one another. Through Christ, it's possible to forgive the people who've wronged us so bad. And the, the people who have committed wrongs against us. And through Christ, the radical peace that permeates all of creation has begun. Will you pray with me?